0: Welcome back again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM. That unmistakable guitar melody once again bringing us in. Plenty of cricket going on, fellas, here at Emerging Cricket around the world. Wherever you are listening, thank you for joining us, Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner, and myself, Daniel Beswick. A big week in the cricket world for so so many reasons. And uh, what was a bit of a joke to start with here at the EC Pod, the law change has become well. It will become a discussion point at some at some point during the show. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, fellas, how are we all doing? Nick, you're currently being inundated by rain and the La Nina effect. Tim's in what is essentially lockdown in Vanuatu with a breakout. How are we all doing, boys? At least there's some uh, League 2 action to uh, keep ourselves busy.
1: Well, I've, the skies have cleared. Oh, had a beautiful sunset. Uh, yeah, it was um, <laughs> pouring down for the last month or so, but uh, seems to have finally given us a break. So, uh, so that's nice. I've seen
0: some of the uh, flood levels around the place, and it's pretty grim viewing. And I've got to say that I must have left the country at the precise time because every Snapchat or Instagram story I get from a friend, it hasn't stopped raining. And I think I've seen about three raindrops in the last three weeks here.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's funny, New Zealand's usually kind of notorious for, for having stuff rained off, but um, yeah, we, we managed to avoid the flooding uh, very luckily. We're kind of on a hill, so we're, we're okay, but uh, yeah, not so lucky for a lot of other people around the coast and, and a lot of other places, yeah.
2: Yeah, there's been a lot of people who were on hills that are no longer on hills, so it's <laughs> crazy, you know, seeing whole towns, Lismore, you know, crazy. That's good that you're well, but yes, the weather has been okay here too, but unfortunately nobody can enjoy it because we're at the highest level, uh, which is level three, lockdown after Omicron skipped quarantine and we have our first community cases of the pandemic in Vanuatu. And in almost, almost like it was by design, the individual who was patient zero out of who, well, well, there there are conflicting stories about how this happened. Um, the running story at the moment is somebody got into quarantine who shouldn't have, and then went back out again. That person is in government and involved in regional projects for which representatives came in from every province of Vanuatu to meet with this individual who've now gone back to their provinces. And we now have Omicron in at least two places. And, and as we're recording this on a balmy Wednesday evening, it's uh, increased from 10 cases to, to 35 in, in a day and has spread to, to Santo, which is in the Sanma province. So, yes, as Police Chief Wiggum said, as his tie was being drawn into the hot dog machine, things are definitely going to get worse before they get better. <laughs> Nick I love I love you laughing at my Simpsons jokes because I know that you I'm don't. just
1: laughing at the uh, at the image there <laughs>
2: um look it's not well, I guess you've got to laugh at things like this and who knows what that means it's it's omicron so if we look at levels of severity but we have uh, i think there's only about 70 percent of adults have had one dose and less than 50 percent have two um with some of us have got our our third shot our booster already and there's been True Vanuatu style. There were lines around the corner at the convention centre to uh, to get vaccinations. And people have had 10 months to do this. So one thing, I guess, it will get people thinking about vaccinations, but, you know, you can just tell that we, we don't have things set up for, uh, for everything that needs to be done. So you can only hope that the resilience... And what people have to deal with here on a, on a daily basis, in, including from a health point of view, that the body's attuned to to hopefully deal with this better than in other places of the world, but but who knows? It's just uh, frustrating to see it happen like this. And I guess there was always a feeling of inevitability about it coming, but I guess it doesn't ever really prepare you for when it does. And it means that basically everything in cricket, as other sports, are deemed not essential, and obviously so at this at this point in time. And so we're just those. can work from home are um, and everyone else is just at at home in lockdown it's basically curfews 6pm to 6am essential services only Um, so you can still go and get groceries and whatnot but it can only be one person from a household and limited numbers of people in buses etc but uh, it's a little uh, groundhog day for me and I think for a lot of people listening who've been through those sort of first second and third waves but uh, it's only just starting here
0: well good luck to Everyone in Vanuatu listening to the podcast, Tim especially, uh, going through that situation at the moment. Did see a nice video of you pop up on the uh, ICC circles uh, in regards to the development award won last year. I know that you're there promoting the game, albeit not really part of that award, with all due respect, Timothy, but you come on board and promoting the game once again through that clip. And it looks, the visuals were great watching the Vanuatu men and women put themselves through paces their training and, and discussing all good things in terms of Vanuatu cricket. What's what's the latest on the cricketing front, at least?
2: Cricket? What's that? All we've been doing is swimming on, in cricket fields and now in lockdown. But uh, no, thank you, Bears. That was good, and it's always great to take credit for someone else's work. <laughs> so uh, I know Shane Deets will be listening in in the Netherlands, recent father, congratulations to him and Marcella, uh, who had a little girl. But uh, yeah, well, I think, as I've sort of said when I've shared it, you know, I can't take credit for what was done to win the award. But it's been good to sort of pick up from there and take advantage of the, of the momentum, really, f- from that. And whilst we didn't have a chance to play any international cricket or to have teams come and tour and expand the Vanuatu Blast concepts, we have been able to grow women's island cricket and our our schools program in the in the meantime so that's that's been cool to be part of that and to make some decisions to do that so it was great to have that focus on that with the, the video too because it was really a you know where are you now what's what's happened the last year in a bit so that was good I think it came out came out really well it kind of been easy to do on it Viru at Coromandel Productions, I've known for a long time, he used to do the ICC 360 show. Geez, that's something that we need back again. That was that was really cool. But um, he was coordinating that from Singapore and having contracted filmmakers, Uganda, Brazil, Vanuatu uh, and and beyond. You know, it's, it's lots of places to coordinate. And they, they, it all looks really good. But uh, thanks, Bez. It's always good not to embarrass yourself, especially on camera.
0: Yeah, it looks sharp, professional. And uh, yeah, pretty much the Tim Cutler standard. Of uh, operations there I would say so uh, well done to everyone involved there and well done to you. Let's jump into some cricket that's gone on we'll start with Cricket World Cup League 2 which has resumed again. Uh, we've come to the realisation that we're around the halfway mark in terms of the total matches that were pencilled in whether we get to that magical number of I think it's 126 matches. We'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But for now, we've got some cricket to enjoy from uh, the ICC Academy at the moment in UAE, uh, Oman, Namibia, and of course the host playing in that as well. A couple of highlights to, to kick off. Uh, we saw Gerard Erasmus play one of the best one-day international knocks at this level we've probably ever seen with... Namibia in a hole. Uh, We also saw them winning that particular match by over 100 runs, defending 226 after their miraculous recovery. UAE beating... Namibia two days after this series is currently going on as we're recording but there's definitely a vibe or definitely a gauge that we can sort of make from a few of the teams here and a few early impressions uh, UAE with the ball particularly their fast bowling looks like it's coming along a little bit further than potentially what we saw in the T20 stuff I know it's a different format and Namibia's top order has actually faltered on two occasions here so there's definitely a few questions to, to ask there and we will discuss that in a little bit more detail at the moment. But, Nick, what have you made of the, of the series thus far?
1: Yeah, lots going on. Um, I think, yeah, as you said, that that knock from Erasmus, uh, one of the best that I've seen in my time watching cricket, really. Seven for 53 and then uh, manages to drag them back to a competitive total of, of 226 and then, you know, come through and win that by over 100 runs was, uh, yeah, quite an effort. I'm just looking at the points table. It's it's interesting to see, you know, Namibia have kind of they haven't gone up or down. You know, they're still um, they've they've won a game and lost a game. Oman's still way out ahead, but that's just because they played a lot more matches. UAE has gone up into third spot on that table, and they're looking good to to directly qualify for the uh, World Cup qualifiers next year. So I guess the, the interesting thing will be whether, I, it's sort of, <laughs> the top three is the thing that matters now, I guess, because with the Super League um, and, and promotion into it seemingly off the table now, with the, you know, uh, the restructure at the top, I guess winning this entire Cricket World Cup League Two is a lot less important than those top three spots where you directly qualify. Although that said, you know, any of these teams you'd think would back themselves to make it through the, the playoff.
2: Yes it's interesting isn't it this as we said we're recording on Wednesday with the 63rd match happening so with 126 matches apparently to fit in in that time it'd be interesting I wonder if we'll get to the point where if they know there's a result already with a number of games left to go be like you know sorry nepal you're uh you're dormy four if you don't win if you don't win this match we're not we're not we're not going to keep going and i know that that would defeat the purpose of, of giving each team the same number of games and, and, the, and the experience but you know it's a strange world at the moment interesting to see the, the sponsors for this this series i know we've seen this particular don't really want to name drop sponsors like this when it's uh, we're not going to give me free advertising to our millions of uh, <laughs> of listeners but uh, to see the naming rights of a series given to a to an entity which is interesting in itself i guess with it being uh, the news side of a, a betting website that we've seen quite often across the middle east there yeah, to actually have naming rights to this series and allowed to be billed as such, you know, with a with an ICC series. I can only say that's that's a good thing. If the ICC are allowing this and with that money coming, hopefully, directly to the, to the host, th- then that's good. Is that something we've seen before or is that, has it just popped up?
1: No, it seems like an, a new move. And as you say, it's good if, if that's actually what's happening. And, you know, hopefully the, the UAE haven't just, you know, sort of slipped a quick one past them. But, you know, helping boards find their own revenue streams is something that the ICC talks about being important, you know, for, for developing cricket. And I remember being in Namibia and the, the Namibians wanted to get some Toyota branding up because a local Toyota dealership was wanting to get involved uh, and do a bit of sponsorship, but they couldn't because it was an ICC event and the ICC is sponsored by Nissan. So, they seem to have, at least between um, 2019 and now, they've, they've loosened the restrictions. And We've seen, um, I've heard stories from guys like Andrew Nixon and, and Peter De La Pena about having, you know, the, the wrong soft drink or, or sports drink brand being confiscated at ICC events due to sponsorship clashes. So, if, if the ICC is taking a more kind of liberal approach to that and, and letting teams find their own sponsors for series, I think that's a really positive move.
2: Yeah, I was going to say the only thing there is that the conflict with the motor vehicle one is is clear and with that in in Namibia being an ICC event and the ICC does not have any gambling partners so maybe they'll just skip around that one. But either way, it's somewhat positive. Just hoping that you know we can get the same opportunity to uh, to other countries that are that, that are hosting. The only problem being there, I guess, is that with certain countries hosting a lot more of these series than others, is that giving an unfair advantage to those nations to to get sponsorship for them. Mm. That's being a little bit a little bit pessimistic, perhaps a little half empty to that. Um, speaking of PDP, the, he's a very exacting man, isn't he? He knows what he likes. <laughs> Does the ICC have any any breakfast cereal sponsorships? Because for all of those who've ridden in the car with Peter Della Penna, you know, he always has that box of a certain cereal with him. So maybe he's not doing enough. I know George Dobell has a travel partner. Maybe PDP needs to be sponsored by a certain burger chain uh, and also <laughs> a certain <laughs> breakfast cereal provider. <laughs>
1: Well, he um he has a whole ranking list of uh, fast food franchises that he likes to frequent. So, um, there's plenty to choose from.
2: So, if he ever tells you he's busy, you know he's not because he's too busy sitting there writing a list of fast food <laughs> franchises. <laughs> On his
0: yellow notebook.
2: The legendary
1: PDP uh, notepad. The
0: legendary yellow lined notepad while he's doing about eight other things, the octopus.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Should we talk about one of the greatest individual performances with the bat we've seen in this competition? Let's. I.e. Gerard Erasmus is 120 not out after his team were ST Ruggling at 7 for 53. He built a bit of a partnership with the lower order, Jan Nicole Lofty and Bernard Skoltz making 21 and 30 respectively. He comes out and polishes a a pretty comfortable 121 not out in one of the most professional things I think we've we've seen at this level. Uh, The bowling was was fairly good on the Omani side, even though they lament the fact that they let one of the men get away. And then Oman crumbled to be 116 all out uh, to not only outscore your opponents by yourself, but also do it when you were 4 for 43, 5 for 43, 6 for 43, 7 for 53, batting with the lower order. It kind of just shows that, at times, he can basically manipulate the game on his lonesome. It, it kind of reminded me a little bit of some of those knocks in the T20 World Cup where he was toying with the fielders, finding twos in the deep. The field would then be rearranged and he would just chip the ball into another part of the ground and just run another two, end up making eight to ten and over just by doing that, not even needing to hit a boundary. But I think it just goes to, to show just what a class player is because that's not a bad bowling attack by any stretch of the imagination. You you might make the argument that I might of let that game slip but on the balance of it you've got to just hand it to him in what was essentially a chanceless innings that that won the game for his team
1: well you say chanceless, but he was dropped a couple of times they were tough chances there was um a couple of really hard caught and bolds off Nestor damber and uh, nadim had one i think it was sort of a gully position where he dived sort of over his head he'd misjudged it and ended up having to sort of leap backwards I mean, they were all you know hard chances, but you'd think in an innings at least one of them would stick. But you know, credit to Erasmus, he he made the most of it. And I mean, looking at him at the crease, he he just looks so much better than anyone else. You know, he it, he's got so much time. Yeah,
0: like he just it just seems like he can, as I said, just manipulate everything just because he's got that extra split second to see everything in front of him.
1: What's the timing? And he has so many options. Like, he, he can move forward. He can hang back and, and sort of s- sweep around the corner. He touches it gently. You know, those late cuts down past third man were, were exquisite stuff. And then he'll absolutely smash it, you know, pumped Bilal back over his head for six, which is hard to do. He, you know, he'll, he'll sort of charge the bowler and, and thrash it through the covers on the charge. You know, he, he can do everything. So, he's just a hell of a batsman, really. And, and you saw him do that all summer last year in the Namibian domestic all Sort of semi-domestic, where they were playing a bunch of unofficial ODIs against uh, a Zimbabwe eleven, a South Africa eleven, and and Uganda, um, and and he was yeah a class above there as well. It, it's it's easy to forget this is his first century in official ODIs. You know he's somehow he he hasn't hit one yet, um, but um, I'm I'm sure it's the first of many. You you said he was batting with the lower order. He did play with Yuna uh, Kolofdeaton, who I mean I think probably should be batting a bit higher up. Yeah, Loft Eaton definitely batted well. He absorbed a lot of deliveries early on in that partnership, uh, which which was helpful and and that kind of steadied the ship. Him and him and Erasmus both that they they knew how to set themselves, which was good. They didn't panic at the you know, looking at the score and, and seeing seven for fifty and thinking you you cooked. Um, and then uh, after Lofteden was uh, was bowled with with a nutmeg, which was quite amusing. Uh, Scholtz held the end up. Uh, with a tidy defensive technique, um, I think I think Scholtz deserves a bit of credit for that total. You know, he scored thirty odd, but he he just you know he didn't get out and he let Erasmus do his thing, kept feeding him the strike. Um, you know, kept out Bilal Khan, Yorkers. He so yeah, he did did what was needed from the number nine. bat.
2: how's Erasmus's Malmaninga?
0: He's come back from surgery, so uh, I mean, seems like he's pretty much unaffected by it if he's batting the way he is.
1: Was His finger was still taped but um, he's had a good few months since the surgery so you'd hope that it's it's mostly better now.
2: Yeah, I've been able to catch too much of these. I sort of got the score updates as it was going and flicked in occasionally but I, is he hiding himself in the field?
1: No, no, no. Fielding in, in the covers yeah. Oh, okay.
2: Well, that, that, I guess that's that's a telling, telling thing but uh,
1: yeah, look I, I know we love our
2: associate cricket but wouldn't it be great to see how he go right now just like a, I'm, I'm imagining the old Nintendo international cricket game how you'd kind con- Of the hand would come down, you'd pick up a fielder and move them into another position. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking about picking him up and just moving around and dropping him into Pakistan or, you know, just into some test cricket going on just to see how he'd go at that level because he really has come forward such a long way in in, in the last two years and f- as you said for him to have now not a summit because there's so much more to go but it reached that level of, of getting that ODI century and who knows if that was something that was sort of getting to him as well and whether the floodgates now open but you know, we've seen him in all conditions in the last few years stand up, and we've now seen him do it with the the middle to low order in this situation, and not single-handedly win a game because there's a whole team out there, but just amazing. Yeah. What next for him? I guess he's got another World Cup to go to, which is which is great, and building towards that. And I think uh, from his point of view, you can only hope that they get through to the next round again and get to get himself on show again. But what does it need to take for a, a franchise to pick him up because he's got the skills in T20 cricket? As well, hasn't he? Well,
0: he never actually put his name forward for the IPL, which I mean, the reason behind that is unknown, but just thinking about it now, it's probably got to do with just the aspirations of of League Two cricket and maybe the potential of of having a lot of international cricket on at that time might have affected that. But there's no reason why down the track it it couldn't happen in, in some regard couple of other stories in this uh, one-day international series and, again, another guy that knows a lot about franchise cricket, David Visa, coming in and making his first appearance for Namibia in uh, a one-day international and looking as comfortable as he, as he would in any other sort of framework or situation and representing Namibia in, in the one-day circuit, which I think bodes well for the Namibian team. I mean, there were probably people out there that thought, oh, just kind of flying in and flying out for... One T20 World Cup because a team that he qualifies for has made the tournament but it sounds like he's fully committed to the cause and, and the direction that Namibian cricket is going into and yes there's a T20 World Cup again for him around the corner but you know there's potential of playing in India in 2023 with that team that he is in so I mean with the team that they've put together and one portion of that team we could probably talk about now is maybe their supposed frailties at the top of the order because they've had a couple of collapses there. I think I still think that they're in a pretty good spot and they have a pretty good framework and a good team culture to really give the qualifier a nudge this time next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to get a read as to whether it should be a cause for concern. You know, they, they had two pretty terrible collapses, but, you know, the guys were barely in the middle before they got out. So it did, uh, <laughs> It's like the old thing of um, you don't know if someone's out of form. Uh, if they get out straight away. And it's kind of hard to tell. You know, um, Bard certainly looked compact at the top. Van Lingen looked fine. Uh, Loft Eaton, I don't think I've ever seen Loft Eaton bat badly per se. He just sort of has a knack for getting out in weird and silly ways. (laughs) Um, You know, so I I think their batting's not too bad. Uh, But yes, if they do get the sort of um, the, the wobbles. And, you know, we saw that even before the pandemic in 2020 in, in the sort of corresponding uh, Oman-UAE-Namibia tri-series where they got bowled out for 90-odd uh, by the UAE. Yeah, so they they do sort of have a a bit of a a tendency to either go big or or (laughs) fall in a big heap. Uh, So how they can address that going forward, um, I'm not too sure. They've certainly shuffled around their batting order a lot over the last little while. And, I mean, is the order the issue or is there some kind of underlying, uh, (laughs) I I don't know, underlying uh, mental block there? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the bowlers have certainly made up for them in, in the last two games of the JJ Smith, they threw away a good position against UAE, which we can kind of get into, but um, I think the fact that the pitch was so green and, and juicy and they have all those seamers, especially those left-arm seamers, uh, nobody quite knows what to do with the left-arm seam at this level, it, would, it looks like. Bilal Khan's taken nine wickets in two matches as well. So, you know, more left arm seam doing the damage there. Uh, It it seems like it's kind of... We were talking a couple of years ago about left arm fingerspin being the cheat code. In this series, at least, left arm seam is is the thing to be bowling.
2: Well, we did talk last week about how Namibia had had so much less cricket than their opponents in this tri series and whether it was going to have an effect I think we'd hoped that you know they'd been training hard and been preparing and and everything be okay but just wonder how much the lack of match practice against this level of opposition and actually playing you know competition matches like this whether it did did have an effect maybe been playing so much cricket in that kind of tournament mode maybe that break had an effect i guess we'll see towards the back end of this series to see if they can pull back a bit more consistency because as you said bowling's fine <laughs> that's not the problem whatsoever they just need to uh, get to 20 overs without being six wickets down
1: <laughs> i mean you you'd think that was an easy uh... <laughs> sounds
2: so easy doesn't
1: it yeah. <laughs> they've got lofty Eaton coming in six wickets down and keeping uh which i mean that was an interesting little uh, subplot of this series is they've yeah
2: Tommy me through the guy who bowls great leg spin and a good little quick rate who troubled afghanistan
1: in the world cup is now wicket keeping and not bowling well he has he has kept in the past at, at under 19s level i don't care i don't care he's a leg spinner <laughs> you break your fingers no i mean i this thing is leg spin is a relatively recent development but it's very strange i can't puzzle it out i mean they could easily have replaced someone like Carl Birkenstock with with Green and I mean we saw Green struggle with the bat in the World Cup and maybe you know he's not looking good in the nets but even I mean maybe have I think eight all-rounders so you know you could you could bat <laughs> you could pretty much bat Green at number 10 and just have him as a specialist keeper and then have everyone else sort of make up the difference with the bat and I mean Carl Birkenstock as a military medium seam bowler doesn't really add much with the ball and Again, they have so many all-rounders. You don't you don't need him as batting cover, so get green in and, and let Loft eat bowl. I don't know. Yeah, very, very strange uh, decision there.
0: I want to leave this as a little bit of a smoke bomb before we move on to the other teams, but there's a rumor going around that a certain retired, for lack of a better term, opening bat for Namibia might be making a return, and that's all I'll say in the matter. Now that everyone can linger on that, uh, the other teams in this tri-series, UAE sort of briefly touched on it, but looked, the, the swing bowling aspect, particularly from Kashif Dowd and and even Zahor looked a little bit more promising than in the T20s. Maybe they're just getting into that, that rhythm of 50-over cricket. It just allows them to, to sort of find that line and length and to build a, I suppose, rhythm heading into their into their bowling. Looked a little bit better with ball in hand, UAE, and think they'd be a little bit disappointed by their batting as well we also saw Ahmed Razabal Erasmus around his legs in this series here too just two greats of the associate game going toe-to-toe um and yeah and, and just to kind of tie a bow on, on the tri-series just with Oman I think we'll probably need to wait until the end of the, the, this tri-series to get a, be, a better gauge just because Oman are, are kind of just being Oman at the moment for a lack of a better term let's move on uh there were other things we were meant to talk about tonight so we'll get around to them the ECL and the European Cricket League, and, and this is going to be a sort of a wide-ranging chat here. We're, we're heading towards the business end of what is a pretty long tournament in terms of days. It started on the 7th of February. It'll finish on the 25th of March. We're not far away from finding the final team for Championship Week, which is held at the end. Uh, the team's already through to Championship Week. Tunbridge Wells of England, uh, Brigade of Ireland, Pressure in Italy, and Albi Zalmi of Sweden, It has been, and this is probably from a personal point of view, boys, it has been a little bit tricky to keep up with, not only with 30 teams, and and we understand why the tournament's so long because every group is there for just one week. But from a Southern Hemisphere point of view, with our summer still going on, as well as global events and multiple series, both associate member and full member, it has been a little bit tricky to keep up the streaming quality and the coverage from a visual and sound aspect is seamless as it was when the competition started but i want to get your take on this because we understand what the competition is about there's an integrity to the competition there's all these groups put together uh 30 teams playing in the competition so it needs to go for a long time just to find a proper winner, but I think with just all this cricket on at the moment and, and just the the time that it's on, it's it's been a little bit tricky to keep up with.
2: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting one, Bez. You know, what have we asked for? Larger tournaments being more inclusive, more opportunity to more teams. Uh, to strut their stuff on the global stage and 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 we've got it and in a format that is really conducive to having having lots of cricket lots of games and 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 things done potentially quickly and i think with the i'm not sure whether this was always the plan to have something that went for this long and have all this all the groups that went like this i think because we haven't had the the national tournaments necessarily played in in line as we were hoping them to be and and potentially having them all lining up towards a, a larger event but I think from from what you said about it, keeping up with it, it's a really it is a long event you know six and a half I think almost almost seven weeks and with everything else that's going on you, you've you've really got to stick to it to to know what's going on it makes you wonder whether you know maybe it wouldn't be as great for the the, the teams involved but looking at like a football World Cup format potentially with you know teams there for groups and then heading into heading there into knockouts and and having it done in, in a few weeks whether that is an option because I can only imagine that the expenses to have 30 teams there first for the, the week and a bit for their for their group stage and then to bring back for the finals must be extraordinary and you know you get you click on the the stream there's always thousands watching on on YouTube when you can see not that you can see on the on the app as to to how many are watching so people are, are definitely still watching it I just i just wonder as you said with everything that's happening at the moment tough to keep up you know it's we've just spoke about league two and that's not even taking into account everything else that that's happening around the world and unfortunately we don't have any women's world cup to talk about because uh there's an almighty thailand shaped hole there which may have meant that um there'd be more interest from um, from our part of the world but as you said it's i don't want to fault it as such because Daniel Weston and the ECL team are putting on what they promised. It's a, it's a prestige event covered with the respect that it deserves. I think the only thing we've probably seen is a change in the communications of the organisation. You know, we don't sort of see the, the press releases coming out as much. And that sort of communication um, a lot more more consistent than it had been, which sort of makes it difficult, again, if you're not there watching because you're not you're not able to keep up with, with press releases and maybe sort of tap back in or be able to cover it. You've got to actually be sitting and, and, and watching a lot more of it. So maybe that's one little insight that we can provide at, at the moment. But every time you click on the stream is perfect. And I, I thought we were going to go through an entire podcast without mentioning ICC.tv. But <laughs> here we go. The, uh, the bingo card has been marked full again. Oh. Anyway, it just puts it to shame and it's this is the standard that we should be working to and it's great. It's engaging commentators that have done their research on, on the players and, and the teams and these are players that you've probably never heard of and you may not hear of again until the ECL comes around but you know you feel like you know them with the way it's discussed and the skill sets that comes comes through with some other in-depth stories that you occasionally get from the ecl2 so yeah it's a difficult one it's something that i think we really admire the work that, that's gone into it it's just as you said to keeping up with it and, and, and getting engaged i think you, you, you want to be engaged more but it needs to needs to make it a bit easier
1: yeah it's interesting i guess the Counterpoint to that is sort of that Western's trying to build it in a kind of a more of a European style and, and the European context. And that is, you know, a long season where you, you basically you follow your team and you don't necessarily watch every single other game. And cricket sort of has this thing where tournaments often expect viewers to watch every single game. You know, we, we talked about the World Cup having one match per day and going on forever. And, you know, so potentially that's kind of more what, what Western's thinking is that you have, you know, the ECL goes for a while but you know you, you follow your team and, and you don't necessarily watch all the other matches and, and that's potentially a, a good model because it's a bit of a point of difference the only thing is I guess how does that fit in with the European Cricket Network stuff with, with all the other tournaments going on with these same club teams and, and how that all fits together and How that all kind of links up and and just seems a bit like kind of a a little bit of mission creep in terms of, you know, there's all the betting stuff going on, which, you know, I can't imagine this is cheap. So, you've you've got to find uh, revenue sources where you can, but as well as that, they're apparently getting in on the NFT slash crypto bandwagon, um, which again, that could potentially be an interesting revenue source. But is that really what you're trying to do with building European cricket? I, I don't know. So, yeah, it's it's kind of, I guess, the only thing I would say is just, I hope that they can keep that original vision that, that Western I still, I remember the interview that uh, you did with him where Western was outlining the, the vision of um, the European cricket and European kids getting into cricket and, and seeing these games and, and picking up a bat and ball and um, having a pathway to move through and... I guess, is what they're doing uh, working towards that vision. And I think some of the stuff they're doing is and some of the stuff they're doing potentially isn't.
0: Yeah, and just one final thing to add. And again, this is probably somewhat swayed or affected by what's happening with the global pandemic. But the idea was in its original format that it took the European summer, it took that spot in the calendar because... It wanted to be the bat and ball sport in Europe, as you mentioned that, that Weston talked about. But but two, it means that from a sporting landscape in Europe, that's kind of his sweet spot where that's where he would get the most coverage and the most exposure and potentially the most attention actually in mainland Europe for what it wants to be. Now, by moving it to February and march what you're doing is you're giving the opportunity of of spreading the audience elsewhere around the world but when the calendar is still so thick with international cricket both being caught up on or just being played out because you have to remember you know this women's world cup for example was meant to be played last year it's only being played now we're still making up league two fixtures a lot of these World Test Championship test series that are going on at the moment probably wouldn't be played at this specific point of time as well. So it's a case for, for Western at times in a way. He's probably damned if he does and damned if he doesn't, no matter where he kind of puts this competition. That there's just not going to be a spot now where there's just a really open part of the calendar where he gets all of cricket's attention at the same time because, you know, there's just... There is too much cricket going on and that's coming from someone who, you know, works in cricket, lives in cricket and kind of breathes cricket. But yeah, I think it's just, it's hard to kind of cut through when, when there's a lot of cricket on. So I hope, yeah, as you say, Nick, that the vision still burns as, as bright in Daniel's eyes as it did when it, when it started because we know just how much potential the product and the concept actually has and the way he talked about it two years ago when we spoke to him about it the first time was that he didn't want this as a kind of a let's get it all up and running done and a finished product in a year it was more of a long-time project where he could say you know his kid in 20 years time could be playing you know elite level cricket in this framework that's akin to a football equivalent with with all the frameworks and all the bells and whistles. So. I mean, it is hard because it's a long burn. A tournament like that is a long burn and it's just hard to kind of pay the ultimate attention for that Long, but you know we are coming into Championship Week now, and it's a good chance for us to see that the best in the competition as well. So we probably can't really judge the entirety of this tournament until the, the tournament's run and done, and and how everyone kind of perceives it by the end. So yeah, there's a lot going on there, and, and we've barely talked about what's actually happened on the field. Um, one of the big stories is that VOC Rotterdam's been knocked off mm. in the competition, which kind of shows that there is parity in that market in European
1: cricket. Get us, get us an ACL parity chart, Bez.
0: Yeah, well I need. I need Bangladesh to win one of these games of the World Cup to do one here just quietly. But to bring it back to ECL, yeah, I think it's onwards and upwards. It's just a case of of, of finding its own little groove in in the cricket ecosystem for it to, to really work. Shall we talk about some laws that have changed in the game of cricket because... A lot of these conversations will be quite animated to some. I think between the three of us, I think we've kind of got a pretty general consensus on on some of these. But I think one of the reasons we like this is that every guest we've ever had on the show, we've asked them if there was one law that they could change. What would it be and why? And we've actually seen, I suppose, a few changes in here that almost reflect some of the wants and needs of of some of our cricketing talent that have been here on the Emerging Cricket podcast. We are divided potentially by the batters crossing law, which we'll get to in a second, but been some changes in regards to the non-striker run out which I think we're all on board with Uh, Nick, you're the umpire of the group do you want to kind of uh, get the ball rolling on this and and see where we end up?
1: Well, Tim passed his umpiring course too, remember you were were the only non-umpire in that chat with uh, Claire Polisak, but She is around here somewhere. Just just before we we mentioned, she is here in New Zealand.
0: I'm yet to bump into her. She's yet to do a game that I've done, but I will see her and I will say hello and we'll have a chat at some point.
2: There will be a chance for her to quiz you about every decision that was made during the game. I'm sure. On the,
0: (laughs) I've been keeping a close eye. Don't worry. (laughs) Also, cause Paul Wilson's here as well, but that's Mm -hmm. (laughs) never.
1: It's all right. There's no there's no associates, so it's all right. He'll be fine. Um. yeah it's sort of there's a there's a couple of camps i guess that these fall into one of them is sort of um clarifications or or merging a few different things into a a more kind of obvious way of looking at it so law one the change uh, so replacement players that come on this is because we're starting to see uh, obviously concussion replacements a replacement player inherits any kind of sanctions or or, um, warnings or anything that have applied to the person that the replacement uh, is coming on for. So, that makes sense. Uh <laughs> it, it sort of, it feels a bit weird, but it makes sense to me because it stops, you know, you, you sub someone on and, and they get a fresh slate uh, for warnings and stuff. So, you know, that, that makes sense to me. Another clarification slash removing ambiguity one is uh, Law 21.4. So, they're changing it or they're adding in a provision that if a bowler throws the ball in an attempt to run out the non-striker before entering the delivery stride, it's now a dead ball. Uh, previously, it would have been a no-ball. Uh, that's something I've literally never seen happen. But um, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's good that they're sort of thinking out obscure hypotheticals and, and coming up with um, <laughs> with with actual uh, you know responses to them. Um, so, that's that's good. Things like law 25.8, striker has a right to play the ball if the ball lands off the pitch. I mean, I didn't see anything in the laws that said they couldn't do that. So, it seems like they're kind of making it explicit that they can. Law 27.4 and 28.6, It's they are kind of bringing together a couple of bits of uh, unfair movement by the fielding side. So, fielders moving or the wicker keeper moving before the ball is bowled. And now it's five penalty runs instead of just a dead ball. But the explanation given by the MCC was a bit strange because uh, the quote is, given the action is both unfair and deliberate, it's five penalty runs. But that's already covered by Law 41 under unfair play. If a player is deliberately moving, it's five penalty runs. So it seems a bit strange to be clarifying something that's already clarified. Um, And yeah, Law 20, dead balls. They've added a provision that um, in the case of interruptions by... um, Uh, animals or people or basically anything. um, It it just becomes a dead ball. But I kind of thought this was already covered um, under other bits of the dead ball law. The ball's dead when players no longer regard it as in play. So, you know, if if someone runs onto the field, I would assume that all the players no longer regard the ball as being in play. (laughs) Or even quote the striker is distracted by any noise or movement or in any other way while preparing to receive or receiving a delivery so that seems pretty comprehensive already yeah so there's been a few that are kind of like clarifying things that seem like they're already there but some of the more uh, substantive ones uh, was law 18 Um, so this is when batters cross uh, during a wicket so you know you hit the ball in the air and the batters cross now they've adopted the the rule that was trialed in the 100 um, where basically the new batter always faces unless it's the end of the over uh, Law 38.3 they've moved non-striker runout aka mancads uh, out of unfair play and into runout which uh, makes sense to me because it's a runout uh, Law 41.3 they've banned the use of saliva Uh, So, that was a COVID measure that's uh, since become permanent in the laws. And law 22.1, they've changed how the umpire judges are wired uh, to include, quote, "...where the striker has stood at any point since the bowler began their run-up." And that's in addition to, quote, "...where they are standing slash normal guard position." Um, So they've added... Basically, it's to cover batters shuffling around the crease to to distract the bowler at at the death overs.
0: Well, I've got to say, as both a punter and someone who is annoyed by sometimes the, the laws of a game as a stats guy covering games of cricket, I love the fact now that we don't have to worry about the players crossing for catches. I think, why do you reward a team for having their set batter on strike? Why do you reward a team for having a set batter on strike when they haven't scored a run and they've lost a wicket? That's kind of my argument for something like that. And I think for the umpires, from the umpires standpoint, it's just, it's something that is taken out of their hands and they don't need to worry about, say, if they're adjudicating a catch that might potentially have not carried or it might not have been a clean catch. If at any stage they're thinking about, oh, have the batters crossed when they're meant to be focusing on a catch being held then i i think that's that that's a good thing right because it kind of ensures that the focus is still well and truly on the catch itself and the dismissal itself rather than just something in the background the non-striker runout thing i think we we can all get around and i think it's a little bit misunderstood why this has been moved and it's not goading the bowl to try and man someone every single delivery it's essentially being written as protection in the laws to ensure that the batters aren't taken an unfair advantage when they're backing up before the ball's bowled i mean the way it was written previously didn't really dictate a non-striking batter to not be within their ground i think what you need to ensure is that there's somewhat fairness at the non-strikers end when the bowl is running into bowl and we've talked about it a number of times it should be almost akin to baseball where you can try and set yourself up and and take ground while the bowler's running into bowl but it's at your own risk and if you know you're caught out of your ground then you're caught out of your ground um i don't think i really have a lot to say about the other ones i mean if i had any sort of disagreement with them i'd, I'd probably arc up but yeah <laughs> Tim, looking at you, I, I mean, I, I can't see a huge problem in all of these. I mean, I, there will be a few questions asked about saliva and not saliva and, and all of that in terms of shining the ball. But yeah, I've, I've got to say I'm I'm not disappointed with the changes that have been made here.
2: Yeah, to be honest, if you were inventing a sport today and you said you're allowed to lick the ball that you play with <laughs> it'll be touched by everyone, I, I'm not sure that it'd really get past first base, would it? so yeah okay we all love swinging the ball and shining it and but yep fine with that um a bit like names on shirts I think we'll be pretty uh, we'll be over that within a couple of couple of days it'll be. Hard for people that are used to it, but you know people have coped with more. So you know, there's still still sweat that comes out of your head. Well, well, if you're like me and you sweat sitting down, then uh, that makes it easier. <laughs> Unless you're Alistair cook and do, and don't sweat like a weird, like Android human. <laughs> there, uh, I look. I'm all for improvements, and I think that the batter coming in, the new batter on strike, and it's only during that same over. So if you get out caught in the last ball, the new batter doesn't go to the other end and face next over, but it's during that over. Which I agree with you people were too worried about kind of gaming the system and hitting the ball in the air and trying to get back on strike for the next one or or however it works and people as you said watching whether who'd crossed rather than the most important thing as to whether the ball's actually caught so that was one of those changes it was like oh that makes sense why haven't we thought about that before so big tick the one i'm happiest about is that wide call that's one of my pet hates of watching cricket, especially T twenty cricket, where a batter will start creeping in as the ball is delivered. I mean inside the the wide line and towards the, the offside and the ball will go to where his legs were, his or her legs were, and it's called a wide. And I, I, I am apoplectic sometimes by myself watching watching <laughs> cricket. Um but at least nobody can tell me I'm wrong. But it's like come on his legs were just there you know get on with it you know that would have gone thudding into it, the batter's pads and if they hadn't have moved why is that a wide why? why should a bowler be punished for that so i'm glad that that has been clarified and yes moving the run out at the at the the bowlers end that clears it up because as we know it's more than fair it's fair game and maybe some more clarification of that rule um, about when the ball when, when the actual run out can occur could still happen but not going to complain it looks like this is a really good common sense list of of things that have been done so we'll give the mcc
1: a big a big tick for this one yeah just on the wide thing i think <laughs> you're right it, it is frustrating to see it the batters moving around and previously there is a kind of catch-all provision that Um, it says basically if, if the batter could have hit it with a normal cricket shot it shouldn't be wide and a lot of the time I think the batter could very well have hit it with a normal cricket shot if they weren't you know shuffling around back and forth trying to distract the bowler so yeah I think this is a good clarification my slightly controversial opinion is I don't really believe in the automatic leg side wide in one day cricket at all so I think they could just bin that completely and that wouldn't really be an issue although I, that's more of a playing condition i suppose because you know they, they talk about it being to prevent negative bowling but you know you've got batters able to shuffle around the crease and play 360 degree shots everywhere i don't see why you know <laughs> if the if the ball's going down the leg side surely if you're a competent batter you should be able to hit it
0: i don't know if i can agree with that
1: you, you've got you've almost got him oh, he's, he's baring his teeth <laughs>
0: uh
2: yeah uh as bez kind of bez gets up one of his sort of runways that see if you come running in off the uh pushing himself off the sight screen yeah i'm i'm on the fence with that one, Nicholas, is that you could then perhaps only bowl down there and set negative fields. And I'm, I'm only just thinking of all the permutations that batters now, and you should say what a normal cricket shot is. What is a normal cricket? What is a cricket shot?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a good
2: point. Uh, the cricket shot now is a re- reverse scoop shot that goes over cover, you know, where your leg might be out on the leg side of the pitch. You know, like
1: that's. That sounds like Lofty Eaton batting.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, it's, that's a difficult one if it could be hit with a, a cricket shot. If you're bowling 130, bowl down the leg side any batter worth their salt these days should be able to move either a leg towards or the bat and you get something on it so rather than you know, you talk about negative cricket negative cricket is the batter like not moving when they see the ball going that way so it like brushes past their leg
1: comes within a centimeter of leg stump
2: yeah and they know not to move and this is something that gets then trained into you You know even at you know suburban levels you get umpires who umpire like that i mean probably more premier levels you know playing on turf and and grade cricket where you know if it goes down that's going to be a wide so you don't move and really that's more negative cricket than the bowling itself the negative cricket is the fact that the batter doesn't play a shot knowing it's going to be a wide. So it would be interesting if you went back almost to, let's call it 90s wides, where it wasn't an automatic wide down the leg side and see what happened. If you said, you know, that smaller line on the inside, I'm not even sure how you, how you do it. You say, no, it's not going to be an automatic wide. If you you could have played a shot at it, you know, the, for you, play a shot and it will be down to the umpire to decide if it's a wide or not.
1: Well, my coach in junior cricket, when, oh, <laughs> he called leg side bowling money for old rope. So, you know, I think if, if, if you know, under 14s Nick can hit leg side bowling for four, surely players at the top of the game in the international level can hit leg side bowling for four or six.
0: Yeah, I think it's more the fact of if you're a quick bowler and you're bowling in excess of, a certain speed down the leg side in your stance you're actually physically incapable of getting your bat around in time to actually meet the ball if that makes sense i mean there are definitely times when yeah the ball's going down the leg side and there's just no chance i mean unless you premeditated and batted with your opposite hand for a bit like there's just no chance to get around there but
2: so what was your primary skill set in cricket Daniel can you just tell, tell everyone was it leg spin so you, you, were, you were you were a top order batter weren't you correct well you are you still are okay cool just wanted to make that sure for everyone I just want to make sure that all interests are uh, <laughs> are declared no, okay, you're bowling 140 clicks left arm over the wicket to a right hand, and you bowl pitches on leg side, going down leg side. The umpire should be able to side that. No, no,
1: no chance of getting that. Yeah, the umpire should be able to deem that. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is, like, batters will adapt. You know, the time was, the wide Yorker was impossible to hit. And now batters have developed, you know, shots where they can kind of manipulate it with the speed and ramps and whatever else is. Yeah. So, yeah, I reckon give batters a couple of years of facing deliveries going down the leg side where they actually have to play at it and they'll figure out a way to do it.
2: Yeah. Or do we do almost like a baseball scenario where we just have a strike zone that's there all the time and it's for the batters to defend it and it doesn't matter how the batter moves for the strike zone for the wide zone it's like no no it's a bowler's job to keep it within within this area and and it's the batter's job to try and score runs and knock it out almost meaning it doesn't matter if you're taking strike outside leg stump or outside off stump that the each bowler has the same area to bowl to so i don't not quite sure how that would work but because it's getting kind of to levels where it, it can be gamed batters moving around and there's no consistency which i i guess what we're probably all getting at is the good thing about this law change is it's trying to get some consistency and i think that's probably really what we're looking for that the inconsistency with, with batters moving and the ball sometimes going where they were but hopefully that's sort of the first of, of not many because we're not calling for more and more changes to make it all about laws and not not about the game but to just to, to have that consistency knowing how important each ball each event as coaches talk about is that the, the odd wide decision does does make a difference with uh, with how close some of these games come to so again like we said ticks
0: Pleasure once again discussing all things emerging cricket with you fellas. And thank you to everyone listening wherever you are around the world. To keep up with news and events from the Games New World, make sure to log on to emergingcricket.com. And of course, you can find us wherever you are on social media. But for now, on behalf of us three, enjoy the rest of your week wherever you are around the emerging cricket world. Yeah,